Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And you remember the reason for this book is because these false teachers known as Judaizers had come into the church and had perverted and distorted and twisted the simplicity of the gospel. And so Paul, with great urgency, is writing this letter to them to try to steer them back, to try to bring them back to the simple truth, to the grace of God. And we've all heard of being hypnotized. Maybe some of you have been. I don't know if it's something true or real or not. People claim that it is. But where you concentrate on something so intently that you lose sight of all reality. Maybe you've experienced it in a different way. I know I have in driving down the road. And all of a sudden you end up somewhere and you don't know how you got there or you don't remember the last like 15 minutes of driving. You ever do that? Maybe like you're heading to Bend and all of a sudden you're like entering Bend and it's like, whoa, you know, I've been spacing out for the last half an hour or whatever. Or reading a book. This happens to me a lot. You're reading a book and all of a sudden you start thinking about, you know, like, what, are, what am I having for dinner tonight? You know, or you, something in the book like reminds you of the past and you start thinking about that, you know, when you were a kid or whatever. And, and before you know it, you've read like 20 pages and you don't remember anything. And you got to go back, you know, and I, that happens to me all the time. And this is what was happening to the churches there in Galatia, to these Christian believers there. They had become hypnotized in a way. They had begun to focus on the wrong things and had become sidetracked from the grace of Jesus and from the simplicity of the gospel. The Judaizers had put them under a spell, if you will. Paul calls it a bewitching there in verse 1. They had put them under a spell and led them into their false teaching. And so this morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and here we're going to see Paul make three points to them. He, he encourages them to come back to the simplicity of the gospel in three ways. First, he indicts them. Then he interrogates them. And then he illustrates for them. And so let's read our text. And then we'll go back and we'll examine these points. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or put you under a spell that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. 
And so the first point is that Paul indicts them. The beginning of verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. The word foolish here, it doesn't refer to a lack of knowledge or stupidity. It refers to a lack of wisdom. That is, not putting the knowledge that you already have into practice. They weren't using their heads is the point. Paul says that Jesus was clearly portrayed amongst you. This word clearly portrayed, it would sort of hold the idea of a giant poster board where you can see that something is happening. You, you can read information as you know, we would drive down the road and, and you see these huge billboards and, and you see something and it's clear to you. That's what Paul is saying to them. Not that they saw Jesus crucified. Obviously, they didn't. They lived thousands of miles away. They were Gentiles. They weren't in Jerusalem at the time Jesus was crucified. But Paul had presented the crucifixion to them like a giant billboard. It was clear to them. They embraced it. They believed it. And why have they now turned away from it is what Paul wants to know. It's because they weren't using their heads. They weren't putting into practice what they knew to be true. And we know that Paul had a huge heart for these Galatian people. He had a pastor's heart for them. In fact, he wrote with great urgency to these people. He tells us that he didn't even wait for his secretary to come. He just sat down and wrote with huge letters because he didn't have very good eyesight. And so he wrote with huge letters to these people in his own handwriting. And they received this letter from Paul who had a great love for them, a heart for them. But even though he had a heart for them and he loved them, he doesn't mince words here. He doesn't, you know, soften it. He doesn't say it in a politically correct way. He just comes out and says, look, you guys are being idiots here. You're being foolish. He rebukes them pointedly and openly for all to see, for generations of Christians to come to read in the Bible that they were being foolish. He doesn't mince words calling them foolish. And so having love for people and rebuking people aren't mutually exclusive. We can love somebody and call them on the carpet when necessary. And the same would be true if somebody calls you on the carpet. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It probably means they love you enough to risk you not liking them or having a fight with you to speak the truth. And the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And so we need to speak the truth, but we need to do it lovingly. They're not mutually exclusive, but how we do it is going to really determine how it's received. These people knew that Paul loved them. He had showed that to them. He had demonstrated that to them. And so I will say that, you know, if you're going to rebuke someone, A... Do it lovingly. But B, probably have a relationship with them previously. If you don't have a relationship with someone, it's going to be pretty hard for them to receive from you a rebuke. 
But when God lays it on your heart that you need to rebuke someone, that you need to challenge someone, you need to do it. But then evaluate and think about how you're going to do it. What are you going to say? If you use sweeping generalities like you always or you never, or if you come, you know, with negativity, putting them down, if your body language looks like you're really ticked off, you're going to create a fight. The Bible says, you know, a soft word turns away wrath. There's such wisdom in that. You can say some pretty pointed stuff, but if you say it kindly and lovingly, it's amazing how it's received. You know, Paul here says, you foolish Galatians, but it was with love. But if he was there and he was screaming and yelling at him, then it might be a different story. And so how we say things goes a long way in how it's received. And the point is, you guys, is that we can love someone and rebuke them. And that's not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go hand in hand. It's a concern for yourself, not love, that would cause you to refrain from saying what needs to be said. It's a selfishness. It's a worry that you'll lose a friend or you'll create a fight or that you'll be blackballed in the family or whatever. And so if God's laying that on your heart, step up to the plate and do what needs to be done. And so he indicts them as not using their heads, as being foolish. And then he interrogates them. The end of verse 1 down through verse 5. He asks them, in fact, five questions. These are really five questions with one point. And the point being, why do you think you can start the Christian life by grace, by faith, and then complete it in your own effort and with your own good works? It's a question that I'm sure made them think. It made them evaluate their own life. Yeah, why is that? Why did we think we could start by grace, but then somehow it was our responsibility to finish by works? That's a good question, Paul. And it's a question I think we need to ask ourselves. Because a lot of times we get into this works-based relationship. We begin to relate to God by our own efforts. And he asks in verse 1, who has bewitched you? That is, who has tricked you? Who has put you under a spell? That you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. We must obey what we've clearly seen. That's the point there in verse 1. That you should not obey the truth. Why in the world are you not obeying, Paul's asking, what you clearly know? This isn't something that you've forgotten. This isn't something that you weren't aware of. This is knowledge that you have that you're choosing not to put into practice. It was clearly portrayed to you. You guys, we need to be doers of the Word. James 1.22 makes that very clear. It's not good enough to know it. It's not good enough to be aware of it. We need to put it into practice. And so the question is, what is God showing you? What is clearly portrayed to you like a giant billboard in your life? And God's saying, yes, this is true. 
and yet you're not doing it. What, what promise is God making clear to you that you're not believing? That you need to appropriate. The Bible says that God's Word is like a mirror. And we know what mirrors are for. They reveal. They show us what we need to do to make ourselves look presentable. And yet, if you walk away from that mirror, not doing anything, it doesn't help you at all. The fact that you know you need to shave doesn't help you to look clean-shaven. The fact that you know you need to get the crusties out of your eyes doesn't help. The fact that you know that you've got dirt all over your face doesn't help. You've got to do something about it. And so the knowledge is not good enough. What truth, what thing has God revealed to you that you need to put into practice? And that's why it's so important, you guys, that we're in the Word. Because the Word's like that mirror. And it reveals to us. It shows us stuff. Jesus hammers us and He says, this needs to change. And He encourages us. And He shows us His promises. But if we're not in the Word, it's kind of like being out in the woods without a compass or without a GPS. And you'll be lost. You'll be going in the wrong direction. Now, here's the thing. You can have a compass and you can have a GPS, but if you don't listen to it, if you don't follow it, it won't do you any good either. And so the Word of God is only as good as how you apply it in your life. If you're not applying it, it's meaningless to you. And so what truth, what revelation has God made clear to you that you need, that I need to put into practice? We must obey what we've clearly seen. And the problem with these Galatian believers, and and really a problem that translates into our life, is that they got their eyes upon themselves. That's the point that Paul makes when he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? See, they had begun to focus upon themselves. They lost sight of Jesus. The same problem that Peter had, that we looked at in chapter 2. Peter began to be a hypocrite. Why? Was it because he forgot that the gospel was supposed to go to the Gentiles? Absolutely not. He didn't forget. He took his eyes off of it. And these Galatian believers, they didn't forget. They took their eyes off of it. They lost sight of Jesus. They began with simplicity. Man, they embraced the gospel. Paul came and they're like, wow, this is amazing. This changes my life. This takes away my guilt. And they began in the Spirit. And maybe that's how you started. Hopefully that's how you started. You began embracing God's grace and and His promises and the simplicity of the Gospel. Just loving Jesus. But then, like with these believers here in Galatia, 
somewhere down the line, it becomes about you. And it becomes more about how you look on the outside. It becomes more about the external than it does the heart. And it becomes this pharisaical relationship that we have with God. And it's a real tragedy when that happens. When we begin to focus more upon how we look, how we appear to men, when we focus more on the show than we do on the heart. And I'll say this, that God cares more about your heart than He does about your actions. He cares more about why you're doing what you're doing than the fact that you're doing it. He wants your heart. And you guys, when we focus on our heart, and that is our relationship with Jesus, the very thing that the church of Ephesus quit doing. church of Ephesus just began going through the motions. And Jesus said, you've left your first love. Go back and do the first works. What is that? It was a losing sight of Jesus in their life. And that's what these Galatian believers were doing. And that's what we can so easily do by putting on a show like the Pharisees, focusing on the outward. And Jesus says to us, he says, look, you focus on your relationship with me. You focus on what I want to do in your heart personally. And the outward stuff will take care of itself. The fruit of your life will be a byproduct. See, these Galatians and us, quite easily, we start to focus on the fruit. We start to focus on what we can do for God. And we get it backwards. And we get legalistic. We get judgmental. We get discouraged. Because we lose sight of Jesus. You guys, don't lose sight of Jesus. Let Him work on your heart. Focus on your relationship with Him. Connect with Him. Relate to Him. And the outward stuff is just an amazing, natural byproduct. Paul talks a lot in this section of interrogation about the Spirit. In verse 2, he says, did you receive the Spirit? And that's talking about the initial work of God in your life. When you receive the Spirit, Romans 8 tells us that you become born again. That's the initial salvation experience he's talking about here. Then he says in verse 3, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? And that is that work of sanctification that God's doing in all of our life. That work of maturity of making us more like Christ. And it's a work of the Spirit. And it's a daily thing. And then in verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And this is another work of the Spirit. And that is the supernatural gifting work of the Spirit. Working miracles doing amazing things in your life. Allowing you to express God's gifts. Allowing you to be used by Him. That's a work of the Spirit. A demonstration of the power of God. And He says to you, were any of those things a product of your own effort? 
Did you receive the Spirit initially by your own works? Of course not. Do we receive the filling of the Spirit by our own efforts and our own works? Some would say, yeah, it's about you. It's about how you're living. And man, if you're not living right, then you won't be filled with the Spirit. And if you're not reading the Bible, and if you're not in prayer, and if you're not going to church, and it's about what you can do. You guys, the Bible is very clear that we receive the Spirit by faith. Not by our own works. Now, are the things that I just talked about, are they important? Absolutely. We need to be living right. We need to be holy. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be serving. We need to be going to church. But if those become the conditions, if those become the contingency for the receiving of the Spirit, now it's a works-based filling. And the Bible is very clear, Jesus is very clear, that we receive not only the Spirit initially by faith, but we receive the filling of the Spirit by faith. He says, just ask. Just like you know how to give good gifts to your children, he said, so too your heavenly Father knows how to give the Spirit to those that ask. Not to those that work really hard. Not to those that go to church a lot. Not to those that pray. But to those that ask. Now I'll say this. If you're filled with the Spirit and you're asking God to fill you, you will be holy. You will be serving. You will be in His Word. You will be praying. Do you see again how it doesn't start with us? It starts with Him. We love Him because He first loved us. You guys, it's foundational in our understanding of this Christian life that we are the reciprocators. We're not the initiators. He starts the work. We respond. So freeing. So amazing. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. Maybe you don't feel filled. Maybe you don't sense His presence. Maybe you kind of feel like He's far away, He's distant. Ask by faith. Say, God, I want You to fill my life. I I want to sense Your presence. I I, I want to have that connection with You. I I want to relate to You daily. I, I don't want to be far from You, Lord. Well, Paul goes on in verses 6 through 9 to illustrate for them. In verses 6 through 9, Paul uses Abraham to illustrate his point. Like, did 1920 call and say they wanted their ring back? Or it sounds like the original phone. (laughs) Um, Abraham simply believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He simply believed God, it says here. He didn't work really hard. He didn't adhere to the law. How do we know he didn't adhere to the law? Because there was no law. Abraham believed God 400 years before the law even existed. 400 years before the law even existed. See, we have this mindset oftentimes that in the Old Testament they were saved by the law. And in the New Testament were saved by grace. It's so wrong. Because Abraham predated the law. 
He came way before the law. And yet he was accounted as righteous. How? By faith. He looked forward to the cross. We look back at the cross. We're all saved by faith. We're called the children of Abraham because we approach God by faith. Not by our works. And so the point here is that faith is the key to unlocking salvation from the very beginning. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith. It's faith that unlocks the treasure chest of God's riches, of His salvation. And in fact, in verse 11 of Galatians 3, Paul quotes that Verse from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. And so it's not only that we're saved by faith. We don't only follow Abraham's example in that we're saved by faith. But we follow his example by living in faith, continuing in faith. That's the message for us, because I'm sure most of us here are saved. We know the Lord. We have trusted him by faith. But the thing is, is that we need to live by faith daily, trusting Him. We're called to walk by faith. And so in what areas do we need to have our faith strengthened? What are you having a difficult time believing God for? How is God asking you to believe? Because you remember Abraham, he wasn't perfect in his faith, was he? In fact, he had great times of ups and downs. He had huge lapses of faith in his life. God told him, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And then he waited for a while and he was doing really good. And then he and his wife, Sarah, got impatient. And they said, you know what? If this is going to happen, if we're going to father many nations and we're going to start this promised group of people. We better get going here. I mean, Abraham, you're not a spring chicken, and I'm not getting any younger, and we've been trying, and it's not working. So here's my handmaiden, Hagar. She's young. She's pretty. I'm sure you won't mind. And, you know, let's just take it into our own hands, right? It's an amazing story. It's like a reality television show. You know, the, the housekeeper bears husband's child, you know. And that, that's like a headline. This is crazy stuff. This is Abraham. This is the father of faith. How about the time that there was a famine in the land, and so Abraham took his wife Sarah and they went to Egypt. And along the way, Abraham starts to think, you know, they're kind of cruel people down there. And if they find out that Sarah's my wife and she's pretty, they're going to want her and they're going to kill me. So, hey, Sarah, you know, we're, we're kind of related and all. Why don't you just tell them you're my sister? It's not really a lie. I mean, I think we're half brother, half sister, whatever they did back then. They were crazy. Crazy stuff. It's like stuff you hear about in Arkansas or whatever, you know. And they say, well, you hear about it in Prineville, but... You know, we'll say Arkansas. So, marrying your sister, right? And he, but he, 
the relationship of husband and wife is far greater than that. But Abraham just said, you know, we're going to tell a little lie here. We're not going to say that you're my wife. We're going to say you're my sister. That way it'll save my behind. And then what happened? The king found out about it. God revealed it to him. And he's like, hey, are you crazy? Are you trying to get me killed or what? I'm not going to do this to another man's wife. And why did Abraham do all that? Because he was afraid. Because he didn't trust God. And I say all that to say that maybe you're in a situation where you're doubting. Hey, great men and women of God have went through periods in their life where they weren't even sure if God existed, where they weren't even sure if the Bible was real, where they weren't even sure if the promises of God were really going to happen. And maybe you're in that time. You guys, doubt is a part of life. It's a part of dealing with this flesh. But where faith stops is when you stop putting one foot in front of the other. We've got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When everything seems dark and hopeless and you're doubting and you're afraid and you don't trust God, just keep moving forward. Keep going back to that which you do understand. Doubt is okay. You're going to doubt at times. Abraham doubted. And God continued just to work through him in that. In fact, he's still called the father of faith. So awesome. It's such an encouragement to me. And I hope that it is to you. And so in what areas do you need your faith strengthened this morning? What are you having a difficult time believing God for? How is God asking you to believe? You remember in Mark chapter 9, Jesus took three of the apostles up on the mountain, transfiguration, and He left nine below. And while they're up there and the nine are down complaining about why they didn't get to go, this man brought his son who was demon-possessed. In fact, this demon had such control of him that he was foaming at the mouth the demon would throw him into the fire, would throw him into the water, trying to kill the boy. And the man just said, look, can you please heal my son? And they couldn't do anything. And then Jesus came down. And he asked the father, do you want your boy healed? If you believe, all things are possible for him who believes. If you believe, if you trust me, do you trust me? And the man said, yes, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Such a great request. I do believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Lord, I believe. I, I trust you, but I have doubts too. Help my unbelief. Abraham and many, many other great men and women had a hard time and have a hard time trusting God. What is God asking you to trust Him with? Maybe you need this morning to say, Lord, help me to believe. Help me to trust You. Help me to work through these doubts and these difficulties and this darkness in my life. 
And so as the worship team comes up, I'm just going to ask you to reflect on those things that maybe God has spoken to your heart this morning. And maybe you need prayer. And you know, you guys, we have an opportunity for you to be prayed for each week. And I would just encourage you to take advantage of that. We have the leadership up here to pray. Uh, each week we have a different elder up here to pray with you. We have the, the tear-off cards in the bulletin that you can fill out prayer requests. Take advantage of those things. You know, when we don't see any prayer requests and you guys aren't coming forward for prayer, that would just say one of two things. One is, everything's perfect in your life, which we know that isn't true. And two is, it would say that if everything isn't perfect, that you're just neglecting to ask. And we talked about this morning about simply asking, right? Asking by faith. And so maybe you need to come forward and, and we can agree with you in prayer for those things in your life. Whether it be for you or for somebody else, I, I don't know. Whatever God wants to do. So why don't we stand together, you guys? And, and we'll close in song. If you need prayer, you can you can come forward and pray now.